episode of the tome show is brought to you by noble knight where out of print is available again and listeners like you thanks for using the tomes amazon and DD classics affiliate links hi this is wolfgang bauer author of forge of war expedition to the demon web pits and a whole lot of independent games you probably don't know you don't listen to the tome you're a sad sorry man Welcome to the Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Sam Dillon, filling in for Tracy again in this episode number 260. And in this episode, we are talking adventures. Watsi has announced the DMs Guild, a website slash store designed to give people a chance to publish D&D material, including the use of the Forgotten Realms setting. Also, Wizards of the Coast announced that this will be a way that they will hunt for new talent. Towards that end, listener Gene Crane has suggested that we do an episode giving advice on how to make adventures that people might want to buy. And so, we have myself, Sam Dillon, and Jeff to give you our take as reviewers, but also with us is Mr. Mike Shea. Mike, what qualifies you to talk about adventure publishing for the small-timer or newcomer? Oh, definitely on the small-timer. Um, well, I have, I think, three adventures that are up on uh, the DMs Guild. All legacy. Well, no, I'm sorry, two, and they're both legacy, and then I'll have one that's coming up. Uh, Vault of the Dracolich, which was the first D&D Next published adventure, uh, and a D&D uh, organized play adventure for the Adventurers League called the Drowned Tower. That's also up there. Awesome. And also with us tonight is Wolfgang Bauer, who is our voice of experience. Wolfgang, wh- what do you know about making adventures that people want to buy? Oh man, that, that was my very first gig in the industry was reading the slush pile for Dungeon Magazine. So I have seen it oh, all. Nice. I have seen people pitch their good stuff and people miss the target. So, and of course I've been publishing with Cobalt Press for 10 years and designed a bunch of, oh, I don't know, Horde of the Dragon Queen most recently. Very good, very good. Well, it's great having both of you gentlemen here. Uh, we're going to dive into this advice in a moment, but first... Uh, I want to make a, take a moment to tell people about our sponsor and longtime supporter, Noble Knight. They're a game store that specializes in finding out-of-print products, that, uh, all to your heart's desire. My pick for this episode, since Mike is on the show, is a real-life physical copy of Sly Flourish's Lazy Dungeon Master's Guide, which sells for $15. Mike, tell people a little, about, a little bit about the book you that, wrote. That's on that store? It is. They have it. In in hard copy? In hard copy. Wow. Amazing. So that's a surprise. I didn't know they were selling it there. In hard <laughs> there you go. Um, what was your question? <laughs> I said tell people a little bit about the book. <laughs> oh, so it's a uh, it's a very short book uh, written from the perspective with written really with one core philosophy, uh, which is that um, 
it's quite possible that the less time you spend preparing for your game, uh, the more enjoyable your game can be. And that's not to say that you are uh, that you can't spend any time preparing, but that if you spend uh, our uh, constantly uh, uh, shrinking amount of time on the right things, um, you can make a game that's far more dynamic, far more focused on the decisions of the players, and uh, something that can really create a lot of fun. Very good. And you can check that out over at noblenight.com. Support for the Tome Show comes from Noble Knight. From Noble Knight. Noble Knight? Knight. Knight? Thousands of tabletop gamers use a Noble Knight to sell new and out-of-print games and products at a discounted price. Noble Knight will also buy back the game products you aren't using anymore. NobleKnight.com, the brick-and-mortar online store where out-of-print is available again. Tell them the Tome Show sent you. I use Noble Knight. You do? I love it. It's trying to sound creepy, though. And we're back! <laughs> we've got Wolfgang, we've got Mike, we've got Sam and I, three or four very different perspectives of good adventures. So uh, let's start off with something easy. Uh, what makes an adventure good? <laughs> that's not actually an easy question. No, it's that's not actually one. all that easy. <laughs> we can start big and then drill down. I mean, one of the things that makes an adventure good is that um, it's entertaining enough to read or it grabs you in some way so that as a dungeon master, you care enough to prep it and want to run it, right? I mean, you may mess it up in the execution, but step one of a good adventure is getting someone's attention to say, hey, this is going to be cool. Come with us. Hmm. Any other uh, ideas about what makes an adventure good? I mean, certainly you mentioned, like, having it readable, right? Um, And that readability, that entertainment factor, just to be able to pick it up and read, uh, is no small thing, right? Yeah, I mean, if you have great ideas on how to make a good encounter, but you can't execute them, you're going to have trouble, right? Mm. Um, Because people who want to play your thing are going to say, you gave me this manuscript and I can't figure out how to run it. Um, I mean, we can talk about playtest and all those things, but step one is, yeah... you need to entertain the game master as the very first thing of, of making a good ad, good adventure as a designer. Now, if you're just prepping your own homebrew, are we covering that too? Are we covering like, hey, I'm just prepping for myself. I'm a lazy GM. I mean, we can talk a little bit about <laughs> that, but that's not the that's not the intent. Uh, the primary the intent is for the, publication. Yeah, the idea okay. for people who want to try to publish, even if it's just a, a pay what you want thing on DM Guild. Yeah. So, because well, I, mean, I, I think getting into how to de- prep for your own adventure—that's that's, that's uh, a big enough topic. It can be its own sort of thing for multiple episodes. That's next week. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's next week and next month. Right. So, Mike, do you I mean, have any... I've got a checklist, but I, I'm sure Mike has stuff too. Yeah, Mike, do you have any <laughs> thoughts on what makes a good adventure? Well, so I don't, I don't want to say what makes a good adventure, but I'll say what makes an adventure that I like. Okay, is that fair? I was um, actually going to and... ask that question later, but yeah, go ahead. Well, you know, I don't, I don't know. What makes a good adventure requires a survey of nine thousand people. Um, but what you know, what I once one Only thing that 9, I like, 000? and this might be a little controversial, is I like an adventure that I, I specifically like read aloud text, and I and I miss it when it's not there. I'm actually running an adventure right now for my home game that doesn't have read aloud text, and it's a lot harder for me to run because I have to like mm-hmm. read stuff and paraphrase, even if I've already read it. I have to kind of read it and paraphrase it, and it doesn't come out nearly as cleanly as if I could just read some read aloud text. And Wolfgang said, "Uh oh, why is that?" Yeah, it's super contentious, right? I, 
one of the things I learned at Dungeon Magazine was yeah, after about the first paragraph or the first couple sentences, yeah, interest drops off. Um, there's a great tendency for people to write too much read aloud. Mm. It's a common beginner's mistake to just go on. And table time and attention is valuable. You really got to condense that down into a couple of things that grab people and, and make them say, okay, we're in trouble or let's poke around the room. So you're not um, saying no table, uh, no, no box text. You're saying keep it as, as minimal as possible. Right. The beginner mistake, the rookie mistake is just go on and on. And what you really want in box text is like a few, you want a few sensory terms, like how does it smell? What does it look like? What do they hear? Concrete sort of things that give people a sense of place. Mm. And then you want hooks, right? Like skulls and monsters and glinting treasure. Like what is there of interest? Um, and all too often the box text kind of rambles on with the villainous monologue or whatever. And that's, I think that's a misuse of, of box text. You can, you can go too far. Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, it seems like there, there's a, a temptation there to use the box text as, as a designer to squeeze in the exposition that you really think needs to be there, but you, do, but you don't yeah. trust all the DMs to do on their own. Right. And DMs resent it and players are bored, so don't do it. Yeah. Right. Uh Wolfgang, do you do you think that um do you do you do you think there should be no box text at all or just make sure that it's really clear and brief? I I'd say keep it really clear and brief. And for any room that's sort of fundamentally boring in an adventure or any area that's dull, you know, why would you put box text if it's this is the town square and there's a well? Okay, there's nothing going on, right? Um, so I tend to use, I don't use a ton of it anymore. Um, and I try to just save it for special. The other thing I do is I split it up into two parts, right? Like there's the initial box text and then there's the, oh, the players are poking at this thing or the monsters are mm -hmm. jumping out. And then there's a second round of it. So you, you break up the wall of text into two beats. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with all that, of course. And that's good advice. Uh, I think that, that would certainly be a temptation that, that new game designers uh, might have, or less experienced game designers might have. Um, well, and it, it also affects new DMs, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, if it's supposed to set the atmosphere and the tone, but it, yet it goes on and, and describes a, a humongous amount of detail, if a new DM thinks they're supposed to read all of that, and that that's how adventures are supposed to be written, uh, and they're reading it at the table, it might be fun the first few times because everybody's new, but then it sort of trains that DM to to expect that or to need that or want that. Or or the other opposite side is they do get frustrated and it, it's ridiculous to them, and yet here they are with this product that still keeps doing that. So I think it's it's bad on both sides, not just for the the writer of the adventure, the designer, but also for anyone who's trying to sort of hone their DMing chops. Mm. Yeah, the DM is the information bottleneck, right? So they're mm -hmm. they've got to keep it short and sweet and to the point. And if they ramble and are long winded, the adventure starts to feel flabby. Yeah, and if I have to make it up on my own as a DM, um, I'm much more likely to keep it concise and to the point, yeah, right? I 
I, yeah, the, I think when I'm running a published adventure, though, my problem is that I will actually go longer having to sit there and try to remember everything that's important in the room. Oh, yeah, I'll take more time, but yeah, I won't spend and then, as much time And then talking. have to say it, and then I say it clumsily. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, I had this very problem last night, so it's, it's near and dear. <laughs> it's fresh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's why shorter text per room can be – I mean, I guess I'm going to beat this drum all day long, but – you know, some people want every detail spelled out for them in a room description and every option covered. And I think some of that is actually the dungeon master's job. Like yeah. if the DM can't say, you know, what's under the flagstone that somebody inexplicably decides to prize up. Well, you know, work on your DMing chops because the text won't always have the answer mm. and, and shouldn't. And if it does, you might as well just be reading a novel to them. Yeah. But, I mean, the stuff that you do want in there, I was sort of negative about flavor taste, the stuff that you do want in there is, like, you want a really exciting initial incident, like the hook, right? Your adventure's hook is massively important. Um, because the worst hook in the world is, well, you guys better go there because that's where the adventure is, right? Mm -hmm. There's a dungeon door. You need to go in. So what kind of hook works? Well... I have a list. Um, most <laughs> of them, <laughs> I, I think greed is surprisingly undervalued. It, it really works. Hmm. And it's an old go-to, right? It's like there's a lot of money in those caves. My players are on it. <laughs> and maybe especially, a, if, if, especially if you set the scene as they're really poor this month. It hasn't yeah. been a good month so far. Right. You blew all the money from the last haul. Right. Like Conan on, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. booze and food and a new helmet. Now what? <laughs> <laughs> All a porridge was, to fall into. Yeah, certainly. Some some companions. Um, I, but so greed works, but I, I think the, the hook that usually, like, gets players involved in putting away their cell phones is... A bunch of mooks jump you. There's a combat early. The bandits come out of nowhere. Yeah, the sort of in meteorez. Yeah, if you can start in the middle of things with a fight, yeah, and then they have to figure out why they were mugged. That mm -hmm. that's usually a, a quick start and gets everyone like involved as opposed to what did we do last time? I don't remember. Some cult was hunting us. Right? No, the cult's right here, right now, and they've got right. daggers. So. Yeah, I love that. That's that's a cheap trick I always use, both in writing adventures and in running them. Mm -hmm. it's, the cheap tricks it's real hard, real hard to go with starting. <laughs> yeah. you know, real hard to go worse than starting with a fight. Yeah, yeah I find it with adventures uh, when you go subtle with things like that. You know, whether it's it's um, your hooks like that, or or you know the clues in a mystery or whatever. Right? If you go subtle in games, it just doesn't work like it does in novels or in movies. Right? You have to be uh, much more obvious, unless you're running, you know, an investigative game, and that's the whole that's the system, and it's designed to support that and whatever. Right? If you're running, uh, what is it, Gumshoe or whatever? Um, right. Then, then that's a little different. But otherwise, for D and D, you know, you got to be a little more clear than you or obvious than you think you should. Yeah, and even and it, within, it, I mean, with investigative, I want to bring up the Call of Cthulhu adventure that sticks in my brain. Namely, the inciting incident was you go to the British Library, you find a body in a study carol. It's been flayed alive. There's no skin on it. 
what? <laughs> and that's still a really obvious hook, right? <laughs> it's a right. really obvious hook, but everybody went, huh? And, uh, you know, you're off to the races. So, so creepy and physical and like, ah, it's your movie trailer. Make it big. What I was going to say is it doesn't always, uh, even back to D&D, it doesn't always have to be a knockdown, drag out fight, it, but it can be something that is exciting. Like, you just catch this guy trying to steal your stuff. Who does yeah. he work for? Do you do you capture him and interrogate him, or do you follow him? You know what what's going on? Is it more than one person? There's all kinds of things going on that could interest a group that doesn't necessarily want to hop into a fight first thing. That is still very much in media res. Yeah, uh, and and you can do that, and it doesn't have to be. The same old boring, you meet this guy in a tavern or you're a caravan guard, which mm. seem to be the two standard. Oh, God, if I never start in a tavern again. <laughs> I actually have a filter, a, a cheap writing trick that I use for inciting incidents, which is what's the headline I'd write if there were a newspaper about this? Uh, that's right? a good idea. Mm-hmm. Which is like avalanche sweeps town away, you know, gold rush in the dwarven settlements. Uh, <laughs> Body found flayed alive in local library. Mm. Oh, okay. Those are headlines. Mm-hmm. And if you can't write a headline more interesting than people meet in tavern over drinks, <laughs> uh, um, you know, no one else is going to care about your adventure. So, now if so you're hooked. Does it matter if, like, as a, as a purchaser of adventures, especially if I'm getting little things here and there on DM's Guild or whatever... Um, I'm not looking for a, a necessarily a big raucous adventure. Maybe I just need something to run tonight, right? Does it matter yeah. if it needs to be just sort of dropped into the middle of a, of a running campaign, or or can the hooks be sort of in the middle of the action like that, and also generic enough to fit into anything? Mm, that's a tough question. I'm gonna let Mike cancel that. <laughs> oh, pass. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it feels like it could be, I, you know, because you could always take the the encounter and and yeah. start the adventure for the night of, you know, hey, you did this thing last session and now you're in the local tavern and there's guys holding knives to your throat or whatever, right? Although I went to the tavern. this is one of those areas where design has two opposing goals right one is to make it specific to the group at the table Mm -hmm. and to get them involved because it relates to their characters and what came before and the other side is you're trying as a designer to be generic enough that anybody can drop it into any Mm -hmm. game and so it needs to be more generic and finding the sweet spot in between there it's kind of a matter of taste, right? If I'm just looking for a quick one-shot for tonight, I might be looking for pretty generic, and I'll add all the flourishes as we go. I'll, I'll make that up at the table as, as DM. Whereas I, I, if, I, you know, if I've been running Tyranny of Dragons for six months, I really want the next part to be related to the last part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I really we- like... Something new that that I've seen in in um, certainly in in Watsi's, uh bigger published adventures, which is the idea of sort of tying backgrounds to the adventure beforehand. So if you know you're going to be running, you know, out of the abyss or tyranny of dragons or anything like that, you can wire in backgrounds and um, other thematic elements into the PCs so that 
you, you don't have to sort of take the PC story and figure out how it fits the adventure. Everybody, you know, everybody's sort of written around that, right? Everybody's already built to support that adventure. Well, and that's um, great. Again, if I'm, if I'm doing a larger adventure that's going to be a main theme of the story or whatever, but if I just want something small, which is probably honestly a, a, a smarter place for a newcomer to begin – yeah. Right? Rather than trying to start start with your big grand opus, you know, the big one to twenty epic or whatever. No, um, don't start with that. Yeah, just do a just do a little set piece, uh, you know, a couple of encounters and whatever, and call it and and maybe a, a small mystery or whatever, right? Something small and and very sort of easily consumable popcorn adventure sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, Fandelver though also, which is a, you know somewhat small adventure, but Fandelver also had characters that had backgrounds that were tied to them in the beginning. I mean, if 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 you're talking about picking up a published adventure and throwing it in the middle of an ongoing thing. You know, that's that's one set of right. problems. And that one's really going to fall to the DM to figure out how do I take themes that have already occurred in my adventure and tie it to this published adventure. Right. Um, yeah. More so than like if you know you're going to be running Fandelver for people and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, I mean, I think the pre-gen characters for Fandelver already have backgrounds that are tied yeah, to do. that adventure. Yep. Um, and that, that just makes for nice hooks. Yeah. That are already kind of it's, wired in. Oh, but Sam, see, what, what's, what's being illustrated is why the question what makes a, an adventure good such a hard question to answer is that yes. partly that answer depends on the needs of the dm and the group right mm-hmm. because if you are just trying to throw something into an ongoing campaign maybe maybe you've got you know you realize the night before the game that two players are going to be missing and you don't want to really continue the majority of the the activities that were taking place with all five or six players with two missing so you want to run kind of a little side trek thing that fits in that that has a more specific need and is mm-hmm. going to have more specific requirements than say uh you know a two book set that forms a long campaign yeah. although I, I, I wouldn't look at that though as saying it's hard then to identify what makes a good adventure i think that just speaks to um variety like we want well, a, a variety but, of options right but well, but what i'm saying is the reason it makes that hard to answer is because if the needs are different it a bad adventure, no matter what style that's written in, a bad adventure probably isn't going to meet any of those needs. But the needs that you're looking for in the first place are different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and this is actually what brings us around to the DMs Guild maybe being perfect because Mike's talking about being able to involve characters and backgrounds. And previously, previous to the DMs Guild, any old generic designer who doesn't have a big name in the business who wants to write something could not actually do that tie-in with official, you know, Forgotten Realms, you know, information, mm-hmm. but now they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's the one big advantage the DMs Guild has. If, uh, if you can plop it in the realms, well, heck, Cobalt Press just did this, right? We released the Frozen Castle supplement to Rise of Tiamat. Mm-hmm. It's another chapter for Rise of Tiamat, and it's up on DMs Guild for people who want an additional chunk uh, for that campaign. Um, we couldn't have released it on our own, right, uh, until DMs Guild came around. But if we were just to write a more generic encounter without needing the realms for it, you know, I, I would probably want to put that somewhere else than DMs Guild because it has its limitations, which is pretty much it's all about the realms. It's a huge plus and a huge minus. So 
I think we've sort of danced around this topic a little bit, so I kind of want to call it out, though. Um, Is there a difference between what makes an adventure good and what makes an adventure easy to sell? I mean, I imagine there's overlap, right? A good adventure is probably going to sell better. Uh, But it seems like there might be... You know, you, Wolf, you, if anybody, uh, you know the market I'll, better than we do. But Yeah, I mean, I know the market. I pay a lot of attention to the market, and I, I have a long history with it. I mean, some of what is is easy to sell is totally non-obvious. Like, we were just talking about sidetracks and short takes. Mm-hmm. And back when I was reading The Slush for Dungeon, that was those were the gems, right? If anybody wrote something that short and that easy to slot in on any road trip, or any town, a side trick was always gold, right? We would accept those things from new authors all the time, and readers would write to us, hey, cool side trick, I got to use it. Because it was easier for them to slot into their games than, you know, the featured adventure that required six sessions to finish. Mm-hmm. So in terms of easy to sell, like, side tracks and popcorn adventures, pretty easy to sell. Um, are they good well i mean you know are you going to remember the sidetrack the same way you remember rise of tiamat maybe not mm-hmm. it depends on what you mean by good right so and for new writers and people who are putting stuff out there short stuff that serves the need is absolutely the right way to go supplements for the realms way easier to sell than your own homebrew that requires 20 years of backstory mm-hmm. um but your own homebrew with 20 years of backstory might actually be like, you know, the next Eberron and you should sell it on drive through or somewhere else, right? I mean, that's basically um, where Midgard came from, right? Yeah, that's pretty much Midgard. <laughs> it's like, man, it's my home campaign and I just eventually said, let's put it out there. Yay. Uh, well, and this, this kind of – you're kind of segueing us into the next major question, which is, okay, well, how out of the box should a new designer go? if they're going to publish something and try to get, you know, some eyes on it and some, some recognition for it. Should they go with tried and true fantasy tropes galore, or should they go for totally out of the box, wild, crazy explosion of new things, or should they go middle of the road? Mind flares fly, flying on the backs of beholders. Right. Sounds yeah. pretty badass. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is one of those know-your-own-style question. I mean, there are people who do really well with traditional fantasy, right? I I believe, oh, I don't know, Ed Greenwood does fine on high fantasy topics, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Any number of people. Midgard is a fairly dark but traditional fantasy world. Um, But you look at someone like, I don't know, Zach Smith or Clinton Boomer or, uh, heck, you know, Jeff Grubb said, let's do Spelljammer, Right? something totally wahoo there's success at both ends of the spectrum Mm -hmm. but as a designer you need to know do i like doing wild and crazy and can i get other people excited about that or do i prefer like my meat and my potatoes fantasy um that has a huge audience but it isn't really breaking the ground Mm -hmm. i don't know I think there's also, um, to make an analogy, uh, I talk about this a bit because I, I 
talk about and, and actually teach students about podcasts, right? Yeah. Uh, and I think there's an analogy here, uh, especially when we're looking at like a DMs Guild or something, right? You're not Watsy. You don't need to be the top 40 station, right? They pl- the top 40 station plays the same 40 songs because there's, there's a broad, wide audience for that because they need a certain number of sa- sales. Um, as a small, independent, whatever uh, publisher – you can fill the niche that yeah. the big guys can't do. You know, the Watsy might not, not might not ever create the the ape p- people race or whatever, right? But but you can because maybe somebody wants that. And as long as you're okay with not being, you know, the next big thing, but filling that niche for those people who need it, I think there's a place for that, right? I can do an entire podcast just about Dungeons and Dragons because I'm okay with the numbers that I can of people I can get listening to that. Uh, you know, but I'm not publishing on the radio and I'm not, I don't need to pay for studio space and I don't need to, to, I'll do all that. Right. So I think there's, there's little niche things that you can do, but I also know as a, as a consumer, if you go too crazy, um, then I'm, I'm, you're going to lose my interest, right? Like if you throw one crazy twist into each little snippet, you know, that little side quest or, or whatever that you do, then that's enough to, to, to pique my interest but if it's all craziness, then I have a hard time fitting that into what I'm already doing, you know? Yeah. Can, I, can I pile on that? Yes, please. Um, so when I actually started Sly Flourish, whatever, six-some six some years ago, um, I actually I, I heard another two people on a podcast that were talking about how to, how to you know, blog successfully, right? Like, what, what's a good way to write a blog? And what the guy said was, you know, you don't want to be the guy that writes about Star Wars. You don't necessarily even want to be the guy that writes about Jawas. You want to be about, you know, the guy that writes about that one Jawa who does that one thing in that one scene. And you will become the go-to guy for that Jawa for the rest of your life. You know? And I, I said, like, I don't want to write about role-playing games and I don't want to write about D&D. I don't even want to write just about 4E D&D. I want to write about what it's like to DM as a 4th edition dungeon, dungeon master. And I'm going to focus on that exclusively, which lasted a while until I stopped doing just that um but you know to to a specific thing and finding that one, what's that one area what nobody else is really touching on hmm. um and i tried to do that with my with my my books as well that like you know sly flourish's dungeon master tips was about dm you know it's tips specifically for dming and pretty much for for dming fourth edition and then i said well let's get reeling niche and write a book just about running epic tier D D game you know that was that was niche enough that it really didn't sell very well at all. Yeah, I found the balance. I went, oh, okay. But it did. You know, for a long time, people were like, oh, you know, you should talk to him. He knows all about you know running. And the folks at Watsi knew about the fact that I did it, and it mm-hmm. actually resulted in a bunch of freelance work for Watsi yeah, doing high level monsters uh, for it's, fourth edition. It's true. If your audience can pigeonhole you as the guy they want to go to for that Jawa, yeah. right? Then you're set because. Yeah, every time you say, well, we're running a city, oh, there's that guy on DM's Guild who does city adventures, or there's that guy who's just crazy about whatever, construct races, and and they'll know you based on that, and you'll start to build a rep that you can mm-hmm. translate into everything else. Yeah, so th- there's, a, there's a definite good chance that you're going to fail because it's too niche, you know, and it turns out you're the only person in the world that actually likes that. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, it's a neat experiment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so play around with, with that kind of weirdness, right? Sometimes, or, or that nicheness. Yeah, I mean, nicheness, the whole role-playing hobby is a niche to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and different people like different flavors of ice cream, right? Not everybody's going to like the mint combined with butter pecan that you are so fond of. But, 
Um, but you might be surprised. <laughs> I, I, I did an Arabian Nights piece years ago um, as, a, as a patron project. And I was like, man, does anybody care? al over. You know, we're involved in all these geopolitical things. <laughs> the Arabian Nights, does it have any cachet? And people piled in and said, oh, my goodness, we love this stuff. Bring us Sinbad. It's like, oh, okay, still a thing, very much a niche. Um, but I ran with that for a while, and then, of course, more recently I did Southlands. So, yeah, I'm still hooked on that. If, mm-hmm. if anybody wants to do Al-Kadim with me, man, just let me know. <laughs> I'm still waiting for a new, uh, a really well-designed and play-tested Shire. Yeah, I've been looking at what's out there. It's, uh, it's okay. <laughs> and that's and why that's... we're here, right? Because I, I, part of me looks at, at DMs Guild, and I'm like, it's it's – still really early days and and the amount of stuff new stuff i see being published on there all the time has me really worried it's like how how much could these people have really spent the time to test it and retest it and tweak it and change it and really make it good when it's only been what months that they've had to work on stuff to get it out uh, and that sort of brings me to, to my next question was was about process and play testing and all of that so how, how should people go about this? Do they do they pick a set piece and then build an adventure around it? How much playtesting do they need to do? You know, does I ran it with my group in a campaign for for six months count as playtesting? What do we think? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, playtesting is good. <laughs> you you need it. You you can't. I mean, you can't publish quality work without some level of playtest and review. But when you're just starting out, it may be harder to mm. find uh, groups and groups and more groups that are that are just, you know, hey, yeah, give us your stuff, we'll run it, and we'll write you a good report that, that spells out what we liked about it and what needs work. Um, yeah, what is the, the, the secret to playtesting? I mean, the secret way to get a playtest is to go to your local convention and offer to run a table. Hmm. And they will provide you with strangers, right? (laughs) People you don't know who don't know your play style and your quirks, and you can run your own adventure for them, um, which has its own problems. But but you're at least getting a fresh group of players who aren't deeply invested in your home campaign, right? Mm -hmm. The ideal play test is you hand your manuscript to someone else to run at a convention, and it the that game master and those players don't know each other and they just try and run through the scenario and you sit quietly nearby taking notes. Mm-hmm. That's really painful, Man, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, when you run your own adventure, you get some kind of feedback. It's really valuable. You see where you missed something, where they shortcut stuff, where you smack yourself in the forehead and say, oh, I need more here. Um, but when you're running it, you fill in all the gaps and when a stranger's running it, you know, they're way more confused about it because they didn't write it. Um, so the ideal playtest, yeah, is you hand it off to people and it, they run it cold and they come back to you with notes. Um, and you'd be surprised, right? I mean, maybe you have friends at the game store who run their own campaign. Maybe they just say, ah, we need something to run at the convention. Um Maybe someone at uh, at your local store runs Adventures League and wants a break. Um, you got to scout out good playtesters. They're a real secret to success. Mm. Yeah, 
I mean, and like I said, it makes it makes me nervous when I see this much stuff coming out this fast because I, I'm like, do I really want to drop a dollar or two dollars or whatever on something that I'm going to look at and like this clearly doesn't work or is unbalanced or the encounters yeah. aren't 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 there or whatever you know? And then I get you know I can't get that money back. I'm a teacher. I don't have you know five ten dollars to throw away in, in a given week to to something I'll never use. Yeah. It's probably it's probably more of a of a you know, question about the how the DMs guild works, but I feel like you know these days that the our our style has handled the too much content problem. You know, how many shows are on Netflix? How many videos are on YouTube? How many um, you know? How many pro, how many you know apps can you buy on the App Store and app you know on for for iOS? You know, there's tons of these like too much stuff, and we've we've managed to figure it out. You know, and it's through star ratings and reviews and and lots of other ways. Mm. And it doesn't mean it's perfect. And there's lots of good stuff that no one ever hears about. And there's some bad stuff that gets re- highly reviewed, and you and you get it and you hate it. Um, but I think it's you know, I don't know. To me, it's better than the alternative. Sure. How would you feel about somebody releasing it, release taking an adventure or a handful of encounters or whatever, releasing them uh, as a, a pay what you want sort of model on DMs Guild? With the explicit ex- uh, explanation of, I want to put this out there and hear what people think as a playtest to put into an adventure later. I just, hmm. off the top of my head, I don't know that, of anybody doing it, but uh, but it, would that be a model that would work? It's a way of finding people that are interested to, to playtest and, and possibly get some feedback? Yeah, I'm... I'm reluctant to put too many eggs into the DM's Guild basket because it is sort of early days and there's a high noise-to-signal ratio. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you really want this to be like a long-term thing, I'd do what Mike did, which is start a blog, run your own site, do your playtest there, point people there, and when you're ready, release your thing on DM's Guild or drive through or wherever. Okay. But... I don't know. As a customer, when I go and I buy something and they tell me, eh, it's not final, it's a beta, I'm not ready, it's you know pre-release content, pay what you want. Well, what I want, if you say it's not ready, is I don't want it at all. But there's a lot of people on Steam that, that'll be all about that, right? Yeah, that's interesting. I know. Yeah, the whole, that it's whole, a, it's a I model you're that doing works something for somebody. Yeah, but they put a lot of money in that stuff. Mm, that's true. No, they do. I think that's generational. I'm like too old to say, <laughs> I want your playtest and I'll pay you for it. Yeah. Right? The, the harder part for me is my time is worth more than my money. Sure. And, yeah. you know, if I'm going to spend four hours playtesting someone else's adventure, you know, I would rather pay five bucks and have a good one. Yep. So, what, what the real answer is uh, get some friends who you trust that will be honest with you. And have them read it and then run it or, or play it and give real, honest, concrete feedback. That's what I did with uh, Jeff Greiner and Aeon Wave, and that worked out. Yeah, you did. Mm-hmm. Bum off of friends and be like, here, try this out. I don't think yeah. I playtested that. I, I mean, I, I played it with yeah. you. you. You DM'd it with me. That's true. Or for me. And you ended up running it, but I think and it was then I, I bought it and then ran it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it worked. Hey, it, it was good. <laughs> but yeah. So, but okay. So we does different. Do different elements require a different level of playtesting? Like if, if I'm, oh yeah, if I'm doing an adventure with encounters, do I need to spend more time on the encounters or on the four or five backgrounds I designed to go with it, or you know, a, a new class? Like what requires 
the most uh, prep and, and playtesting. What should I be wary of? I'd be wary of any new class. This is why we don't see a great Shire yet. It's too soon. Mm. Right? Like a really tight class. I mean, come on. Uh, Wizards of the Coast put out the Mystic, right? Or the a Variant Ranger. And then they're like, eh, eh, what do you think? And then they go back and retool it based on the survey results, right? So, and they're taking months and, and t- thousands of playtest cycles to get a core class right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think those things are easy. I think those take a ton of time. And Adventure has a little more slack built into it because the Dungeon Master is going to be interpreting your text. Yeah. yeah. And filling in uh, if you miss something. But each of those encounters needs to be fundamentally sound, right? Like, <laughs> they can't all be wildly over or under difficulty. They can't be dull. They can't be just one combat after another. They need to have treasures that players care about, right? There need to be plot elements that link together. All that stuff has to click. Um, the logic has to be apparent enough that players can kind of stumble around from room to room and eventually the light bulb goes on and they say, we know what's going on. Um, yeah. So, so it's safe to say that like uh, backgrounds require the least amount of play test encounter and story requires a little bit more and that yeah. whole classes, I mean, arguably Watsy uh, spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of people and hours uh, play testing classes and still don't feel like they got the, the ranger right. Yeah, I think that's that's the sequence I'd put it in. Very good, uh, but but would you say that with the the backgrounds you should still at least pass it to somebody to look it over, somebody who's maybe not a friend or, or oh whatever? yeah, I mean I'll never say don't have anyone check it because right. everybody's writing can be improved. Everyone needs an editor. Everybody misses stuff, and you know even little things like. A typo here or a, a weird clause there. Mm-hmm. If you can read it aloud, you can stand to read your own text aloud, you'll catch a bunch of that, right? If you can hand it to someone else who's really sharp um, with text, maybe your rules lawyer friend, they'll poke holes at it. Um, mm-hmm. The more eyes on it, the better. It's one of the secrets of the open design, like crowdfunded patron model stuff we've done is you just hand it to people and say, okay, poke at it. And, um, and it may, there may also be some value to, to garner that um, in finding and cre- creating your own little writing group. You know, just four or five people who you kind of know but maybe aren't at your table uh, and maybe yep. not your good friends that can look over your stuff and, and you look over theirs and you all sort of work t- together and help each other out. I know you did that with the wear cabbages way back in the day, right? Oh, yeah. The wear cabbages were hugely <laughs> supportive. They're all over the industry now. And, you know, the cult of the cabbage continues. Partly they're there to to pull you down when you're full of BS. The other time they're there for you is, man, you get that first review and it's like, you know, it's a four-star review. But the summation is like, well, this could have been so much better and I'm I'm a little disappointed, (laughs) right? It's like, no, you gave me four stars. You're supposed to like it. (laughs) And, you know, it's one of those snide whatever. And I like... And if you're a new writer, a new game designer, sometimes a, a review can be a total gut punch. And having uh, a writer's group and friends to say, no, actually, we read it and it was good and this guy's full of crap, 
uh, can be really useful to get you like back at the keyboard and saying, I'll show them. Yeah, at least make you feel better about it, right? Yeah. I mean, the creative side of it, we don't really talk about. Like, we're not supposed to have an emotional reaction to other people's like critique of our work. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, like, you know, game designers are all robots. And it's like, no, they're people too. And if you hit them enough, they're going to say, man, this mm-hmm. sucks. I don't want to write the next one. Or I want to go write something else. Damn it, I'm going to go play whatever fate for a while mm-hmm. um especially if they're not making any money either yeah and i don't think anybody on dm's guild is really making any money yet mm-hmm. yeah I, I highly doubt it myself yeah you know? i'd be interesting yeah i wonder if there's a way to i guess you could talk to matt mercer and see how his stuff is doing yeah i mean it's early days maybe mm-hmm. the the and I think this partly customers aren't used to going there yet, right? They're advertising the heck out of it, but it's pretty realm specific, and a lot of it is so-so, and there's no breakout hit yet. So right. I don't know. I'm still also, well. I'm still also. Uh, it's oh, it's just very difficult to make a living as a freelancer. Just yeah. full stop. It's difficult to do that in in this industry, which is already a niche industry. It's even harder, and when you're first starting out, it's even harder. So, you know, it's not uh, it's not easy no matter what. And if you, if the first couple of things that you throw up there uh, end up getting really critical, you know, reviews that that's a tough hit to take, and lots of people would not be able to handle that. Yeah, it's a careful balance, uh, and maybe we could talk about that from from people who have you know priced things and sold things here. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, I think the the balance between between deluding yourself and that you're going to make some extra money doing this, as opposed to doing it sort of as a hobby and for fun and maybe get yourself noticed or whatever, um, is. But at the same time, you want to value your work, right? You put time right. and energy and effort into mm-hmm. this, so you definitely want to value it and show that there's value to it. If anything, um, I certainly, as a as a consumer, look at the the pay what you want or the free things, and I'm like, yeah. Then how good can I really expect it to be? Right. I pass over it and go to the dollar things or the two dollar things because that's somebody who who put the effort into it that they think there's some value to their work. Yeah, yeah I think I think I think there's definitely a lot of undervaluing, mm-hmm. and um, and I don't know that it necessarily helps. I don't think, you know, within reason. I don't think if you uh, you know, if you if you charge something five, you know, for five bucks, especially if we're talking about adventures, I don't think five dollars is an unreasonable amount of money. For uh, I, I think that's pretty cheap, frankly. It is pretty cheap, yeah. especially if you've got decent maps and you've really thought it. Yeah, through that's a whole that. other thing is you know design and editing and and art and the cost that 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 those put in. Hmm. Um, and and I and I think that that you know I wouldn't be especially from an independent publisher. You know, we're like, what's, you know, I think Watsy through scale can afford to take all these old adventures that they have that were sitting around in a big digital archive and stick them up there for five bucks. But if you're an independent person who has to pay for art and editing and design um, on the assumption you're the writer, uh, you know, 10 bucks. You, 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 I mean, I don't even know, you know, I haven't done all the math, but I imagine you have to sell quite a bit before you'd be able to pay back that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, for somebody that's just starting out, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. I don't know that you can do it. Hmm. Uh, I mean, you build a reputation somehow. The first products I put out independently were, well, they were ten years ago, almost ten years ago, um, 
and the sales were super modest, but the creative fulfillment and the blast of just being able to say, hey, look, my name's on the cover. Hey, I did it the way I wanted <laughs> um, was great, right? And obviously I had a leg up having worked at TSR and Wizards, but uh, everybody who goes into the field, if you stick around and, and keep producing quality work, people notice. Um, but it's it's not a one-shot track to fame. Mm. Uh, you got to stick to it. And, and one of the things I'd recommend to anybody, uh, regardless of where you're publishing, is don't just think about your first release. Think about like consistency. Think about, am I producing everything like once a month, once a week, uh, once a quarter, once a year? I mean, what's, what's a reasonable pace for you? Because the more frequently you can put out something new, uh, the more people see you're consistent, you keep delivering. I mean, this is why, like, the magazine people who used to run, I mean, all the Paizo people, right? They know what deadlines are, and when it came time for them to do Pathfinder, they could meet a monthly schedule no problem. Mm -hmm. If you're an independent publisher and you can put out one new piece every month, people will eventually say, hey, isn't this, like, piece 10 by this person? Mm -hmm. I should check them out. Yeah, very good. Wolfgang, do you think that there's a problem of saturating your own work? With that, like if you if you put out a lot, then then you know earlier it's you're you're almost dividing attention across your total your 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 total library. How much how much is too much? Yeah, I, I agree that it's possible to do too much, especially if you're beating one topic into the ground, right? Um, but if you're just putting out new good stuff and, and you vary it enough that people come with you. Um, you know, you can do a monster a week or, you know, rogues yeah, sure. and villains yeah. gallery every week. Uh, something that has built-in variety um, or mini adventure of the week. I, people have a very large appetite for the good stuff, right? Mm -hmm. You can continue to turn out something new, um, something surprising, something inventive, uh frequently and people will tune in people will check it out it just uh i wouldn't say you can overdo uh, unless you're doing daily content which is probably right. too much so let's say i'm designing my my adventures to go on to uh dm's guild or some other marketplace maybe i just want to sell through uh the the rpg now store or whatever drive through rpg um what do i need to spend the most time working on what what do i need to pay the most attention to in, de in designing my adventure to make it good? What, what, or as consumers, what one thing are we looking at the most? My cynical publisher's heart says the cover art, but that's, <laughs> <laughs> it's less of a factor actually in the sort of newcomers thing where you can just put the title up or you can do what raging Swan does, which is white text on a black background, right? That kind of thing. Um, I'd put all my extra cycles into maps and playtest, probably, because mm. um, those are things you can show off in a in a preview. Like, hey, check out the map. Mm -hmm. That could be a teaser. If you have a nice looking map for an adventure, that's often a leg up over people who don't. Um, and if it's heavily playtested, you're going to get better reviews, right? People will come back and say, "Hey, I ran it and it was awesome," mm -hmm. as opposed to I ran it and there were some big holes. Oh, and of course the big obvious one. You need to have a cool title. 
This needs to be like cool title. <laughs> well, you laugh, but I spent a lot of time thinking about no, titles. no. I, I was laughing because I, I think you're absolutely right. I think a title and the cover art or the cover design um, yeah. it needs to really catch somebody's eye. And and you mentioned you know Creighton Broadhurst's you know Raging Swan stuff. The yeah. thing about that black cover with the white print is it looks elegant. And yep. it draws your eye, and that's why it's successful, even though it's not in a rich artistic, you know, background for every book that he you know puts out. Yeah. So it is true, but that's you know I know a lot of people who are just you know casual RPGers that they'll look at a book and you know if they don't like the cover or the name of the thing they just pass it by. Yep. Well, and in terms of sales, I think that's right. In terms of a good adventure, like that's not – none of that is stuff I'm looking for, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, the maps maybe, but I'm mostly interested in um, a series of encounters that are cohesively tied together that I can I can pull out of your story and put into wherever I need it to be sort of thing, right? The hard so, part there though is – But how do I know it's you, there, right? Right. You don't know until after you bought it. Right. right? So – um, so publisher track records are really important there. One of the things that bothers me about DMs Guild is that you don't get individual publisher ratings, right? That like your products, oh. each one gets a separate star rating, but everything you've uploaded as a cohesive whole, like on drive through, if you go look at the Cobalt press site, you'll see, Oh, the Cobalt press collective rating is X number of stars over 200 <laughs> products. But you don't get that on DMs Guild. You're sort of anonymous, right? The author is just DMs Guild uh, until they open it up and see your name or they see your name in the product listing. It's harder to tell who's doing what, and I, I bugs me. It makes yeah. it harder for me. It makes I mean, it harder for me to follow particular people. You can click on the author though and see their listing yes. and sort of skim. Yes. So how are their things doing, right? That's right. So that That's helps a, a little bit. Tool. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I got a book, folks. I, I Before you say. go, is there anything you want to anywhere you want to point people to? Um, well, sure. Go visit coboldpress.com. Uh, we're doing all sorts of cool stuff for fifth edition adventures, backgrounds, new races, and um, yeah, we have this really cool Tome of Beasts coming soon. I guess I should. Oh, I can't wait on that. Yeah. Where's my Tome of Beasts? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. We're oh. working on it. I keep. I keep kicking around the idea of doing a big uh, fifth edition kobold extravaganza review episode and then i'm like yeah but let's wait till the two of beasts because that could that'll be the the centerpiece right all right well you can wait that long but i got stuff coming before that i know I you do there's adventure more that i'm real hot about more. i'm getting buried in, in kobold stuff <laughs> yeah yeah there's plenty of it so hey thanks for having me on but i gotta run all right it's good to have you good thanks right. wolfgang later guys bye-bye I just I just bought Frozen Castle. Uh, the, <laughs> based on them nice. talking about it, yeah, based on them talking about it, I, I said, you know, I really got to pick this up. And <laughs> there yeah. you go. Oh man, it looks really good. I don't. I don't. I have no intention of running it just because I ran Horde already. Yeah, we're, we're mm-hmm. done with that. But you know, I don't know. Maybe I'd run it as a one shot or something. It's a good looking adventure. See, that's the thing is, I'm the type of person I like reading adventures, even if I know I'm never going to run that thing. Yeah. Just soaking in how an adventure is done and different things that they do, it goes into my memory banks. And every once in a while, something will come out that is stuck from something I ran a long time ago, and boom, it's the right thing at the right time. But if I had never read all that stuff, yeah, it absolutely, be there. Yeah, so. and that that actually brings up a whole other point for us for this episode. Um, 
So what makes a, an adventure good to read? I mean, even if it, it even, whether you're going to run it or not, you want it to be an enjoyable read. So how do you can make I, an adventure good to read? Can I can I complain about something? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think we put way too many words in adventures. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's this. True. You know, this is as a guy who got paid by the word for a lot of it, you know, a lot for a handful, well, for the handful of ventures that I wrote. I got well, paid by the word. That's part of what led to it, though, right, is pay, payment by the word. Yeah, and it, but it's, it's, and it's not even – here's the, the, the other part of that, though, is not only do I get paid by the word, they give me a word count that I think is probably too high. Hmm. So like the word count hmm. for an Adventurer's League adventure is 10,000 words. And I bet you that if I worked really hard at it, I could get the same adventure out in 5,000 words. Probably. And, and mm-hmm. that it would be easier for people to run. But instead, I'm like, no, I can go along with this description because I've got plenty of words. You know? And it's not even the money. It's not like you know, because I get paid by the word, right. I, you yeah. know, if, if I sent them 5,000 words. If I sent them 5,000 words, they're going to feel ripped off. Right. Um, well, I, and, and, see, I think in the Adventurers League, though, it's a little bit of a different situation because they want – all of the adventures to feel a certain way and to be a certain way because they well and let me put it this way they want the dms to be running those adventures in a specific way so that there is a shared experience yeah. between all the but players I, I all over who ran yeah. that who played that adventure whereas other adventures that aren't sort of tied into the adventures league don't have that constraint so it seems like you should be able to shorten those up well, that's, that's I, I agree as well though. Go back and look at the classic adventures, right? Some of the great, great ones that everybody remembers and, and have set the stage for what mm-hmm. adventures are today were were little like five page booklets. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were right. tiny. Course, they yeah. also had tiny fonts and three column formats. Yeah, yeah and, also, and and right. a lot of them paragraphs. A lot. And a lot of them yeah. needed to be improved and needed mm-hmm. some more description here or some detail there. But at the same time, like I'm I'm running. Uh, a bunch of adventures, actually. Uh, if you want to know, go listen to the behind the DM screen, right? We've, we've got all, we got all the hosts right here. We could just do an episode. Um, but but I'm doing a bunch of adventures. But right now they're really focused on uh, the uh, Princes of the Apocalypse. And, mm-hmm. and I'm running through the city of Red Larch uh, the, the last uh, couple weekends ago. And I'm like, oh, this guy. You're talking to this guy. And um, where where – I don't know. He takes you back to his shop. I don't – let me look through these seven pages of shop descriptions to figure out which one is his. And, you know, and it's like, you know, you probably right. could have fit all of that into a much smaller space and given me a lot less detail, but a lot more useful at the table. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think if, I think there's room for abbreviated and I, I think Wolfgang talked about this too, right? There's room for abbreviated adventures uh, for a relatively low, you know, at a relatively low price point on the DMs guild. I remember Watsy, and it always shocked me because I'm like, I would love to write more of these things. I just never do. But I think Watsy, when they talked about it, and I think they did it for DM Skill too, they said, you know, the thing that we know that people want are short, uh, tiny little expeditions, mm-hmm. not full-fledged adventures with all the story. And they want places where they can, they can go. And it's amazing to me that there's so few of those written. Yeah, because everybody wants to tell their epic. I get Right. Everybody's right. got their great big, great American yeah. RPG that they want to sell. Um, <laughs> And what's interesting is, is you know, Tome of Beasts, uh, the, one of the Kickstarter rewards for that is their Book of Lairs. Mm-hmm. And the Book of Lairs, and by the way, has a f- some fantastic authors writing for it. Um, <laughs> they, uh, that Book of Lairs is written as the, I think, I don't remember what the word count was, but it was a low word count for that. Um, I want to say like, oh, I don't know if it was 2,000 words. Um, 
but you know, short and 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 you you know, I think nicely designed adventures that are intended to kind of fit into an ongoing thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of room for those sort of either a package of things like Book of Lairs or even just one-offs of here's a three-page or five-page, you know, mini mini adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew Book of Lairs was going to be something that you'd be really into because I, I remember how much you loved the uh, fourth edition was a Dungeon Delve, which was effectively mm-hmm. the same thing, right? Just the Delve was I, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely loved it. Um, yeah, so. I don't know. It's interesting. Do we do we want to talk about editing and art and design? Sure. Well, I think everything's up. Everything's up. I mean, one of the things that I I so I'm going to I'm going to complain and I might even hurt the feelings of 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 friends. Um I, I think it's I, I don't know. I'm going to make a statement and then I'm probably going to backpedal on it. Uh I wonder if we're putting too much uh stock art in um, the stuff that's being published on the DMs Guild, particularly like old public domain pictures of block, you know, wood block prints of old farmers with carts. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it. I'm seeing more and more of that in stuff, and I'm and I'm and I've seen it a lot in the old days. I remember a lot of stuff that got published on the web used sort of this the, the public domain art. And uh, the hard part is like you know, real art costs real money, mm-hmm. and you know, I don't. I mean, if you pay, you know you know, some number of hundreds of dollars for good pieces of artwork. I don't know if you're ever going to make that back unless you're Wolfgang Bauer, you know, and, 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 and people know who you are and know what you're writing and know, and, and you're going to, you know, make a lot from it. Um, but the problem is I think that good art and good design and good editing are critical to make a good product. And, and all of them cost money. Mm-hmm. Uh, one interesting thing is they did say that the DMs Guild is full is absolutely fine with you kickstarting your your um, you know writing a Kickstarter or putting up a Kickstarter for stuff that you sell in the DMs Guild. Do so, I do I know the friend that you're referring to with the the old woodblock uh, print art? The, you you probably know a recent example, but he's okay. not the only one. Okay. <laughs> and I love his work. Yeah, I- I've seen that it's a lot. It's awesome I, stuff. Yeah. The thing is, it's because it's free, and and like right. you said, you know, if, even if you only spend forty bucks or fifty bucks on a bunch of little pieces of artwork, you're you're probably never going to make that back, mm-hmm. especially on the DMs Guild right. where you only get fifty percent royalties. Well, and it, yeah. and it right. really right. slows and down the, the process. Place you can sell it. Yeah. So I think yeah. I think the person that that you're talking about is is a host of other shows on this <laughs> network, right? I'm really sorry, James. No, I love, J- and James, and I great. love your work. It's no, great. I've but watched, he, but he, and I haven't talked to him about this, but I suspect that James is also doing a lot of this stuff and he's he's giving it away for free with or mm-hmm. with the pay what you want or, or whatever but I suspect that his goal is as much to promote his blog as it is anything else. Right? Yeah, I think he's, he's just, kind of even been using that art on his blog. Yeah, and he's, he's not, a, not stealing it, you know. <laughs> like everybody else would just go and steal good art. Yeah. Right. So I mean, I I think um there but are the, different it, goals for different people, right? But if you yeah. want it to be, if you want to be noticed for you know something really great, then then yeah, pay attention to the art and design. And, and if you're going to take the time to really do it, then then do it right. But can I? I mean, so here's the thing, though. Um, I am not a person that needs fantastic art all over the product. Mm-hmm. I would enjoy good maps. I love maps. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have to have. Any other art, honestly, I, I'm I'm probably relatively odd in that respect. I don't need any art in the book, but I, I need some good maps. Other than that, and it, it doesn't even have to be the most beautiful map you've ever seen. It just needs to be serviceable. 
And and one thing I like is when you get a DM's version of the map and a player's version of the map. Mm-hmm. And then I don't care what kind of art it has in it. Otherwise, it can have no art, and I'm fine. I I know a lot of people love art. They love really good art, and art's beautiful and all that stuff. I can appreciate good art, but I don't need it for the product. And like so, you know, Mike, I'm I'm actually responding to your comment a few minutes ago where you said it has to have good art and it has to have you know really good layout and design and all that. I agree. The layout needs to be serviceable and readable. I don't agree that it has to have the best art ever. That's for me personally. Yeah, no, I, 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 like I said, I, I like to throw out. This is all, this is the key to success for Sly Flourish, by the way. I throw out ideas and then realize they're wrong. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I, like I, I guess experiment. what I'm saying is whether there's good art in a product and whether that matters, I think is a matter of taste. Well, and, and I and I think I, for me, right, and I, I think you're right. I think it's a matter of taste. For me, um, it depends on what I'm buying. Right, if I'm buying a a collection of of backgrounds or feats or magic items or whatever, I don't need uh, a lot of great art. In fact, I probably don't need any. Right, if I'm buying an adventure with weird locations or interesting people, I probably mm-hmm. do want some of that because it helps me understand what it is I'm looking at. It gives me something to show my players, uh, and that's always really cool. So I think there's depends on its usage. I think there's there's places different demands for art. And for different people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, like you said, I, I count maps as art, right? I mean, when, I'm, when I say art, I don't mm-hmm. mean just pretty pictures of mm-hmm. guys with swords attacking demons. I mean, you know, maps, and maps are expensive too, right? A good map. Yeah, well, see, I count maps in a different category. The cartography is... is yeah, I, is, I throw the whole thing under yeah. the, the larger art category. Um, but it is, it, it is very expensive, though, for, for good yeah. stuff. Well, and, and I'll give you an example. So I was not—I wasn't really planning on buying that uh, the Cobalt Press adventure, uh, and even though I just bought it, I already forgot the name of it. Hang on, the Frozen uh, something. Frozen Castle. Frozen, so Frozen. I'm literally and, looking and, at it. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what <laughs> sold me on it was when it said that the artwork was done by by Jared Blando. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. Jared Blando, man. You know, I got—I have his stuff hanging up on my wall. Mm. So yeah, I'll go ahead and buy that. Right. Like I'm and, and part of the reason why I said if they would hire a guy like him who's probably you know, he's one of the top two uh, cartographers for D and D stuff, if they hired him to do mass for this, that that means they put like real effort behind this. And that means it's probably right. worth three dollars for me to buy it. And and I'm just skimming through it and, and it absolutely is. Um so that yeah, that that especially for an adventure, like yeah, I don't know. I mean, can you get away with like kind of hand doing your own graph paper map? You know, maybe. And actually, if you look a, look at a lot of the adventures that are there for the DMs Guild, uh, for the DM uh, for the Adventures League, you know, that's the level of maps that they have. They're not, you mm-hmm. know, they didn't get, uh, uh, you know, Jared Blando to do those. Um, so they're certainly serviceable. And if the adventure is really good, you, you, you maybe you could just like, you know, if the map's okay, then then the rest of it's fine. Um, but you know, I think uh, for a product to really stand out, I think you know. Wolfgang's absolutely right, and far more experienced uh, in this <laughs> in this than any than any of us. Um, oh, absolutely! A yeah. solid cover, like the cover for Frozen Castle is really, really good, you know. And uh, so, a solid cover that stands out, and and it says like, ah, this is a professional thing. This isn't somebody who downloaded the word template and filled it out and stuck it online. This is somebody who actually paid money, or is incredibly talented on their own, to uh, to to make this stand out in the store. Um, and then, you know, that might speak to the fact that they also had a good editor and they, they, they did all sorts of other things. 
Mm. Um, I think a good editor is also really critical. Uh, and, you know, can you get away with, you know, at, 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 at the absolute least, which is still not great, um, but at the absolute least, find someone else who likes this hobby and has a careful eye for detail and have them read it. Like, you know, I don't think I've ever asked him, but boy, I'd love Sam to edit my stuff. <laughs> you know, mm. Like, because I know he reads everything all the way through and will find mm. any problem. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. He'd probably be like, yeah, I'm not doing that for you. But, you know, the, yeah, the idea. Uh, of- you know, we can talk about it later, but I, I, I like doing that. It, I actually I do because, yeah, so, you know, fun. I go through and I and I proofread all the crap I read anyway. So <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm yeah, you know? <laughs> I'm lucky enough to be in a position now where I can where I can actually pay an editor. Right. Mm-hmm. But know, it's still I, good to have somebody. To, yeah, I mean, I think I I did some first reading for several of your projects. Yeah, absolutely. And and, and it's and and while my time is limited, right? It's also fun. I sit around on a Saturday Saturday yeah. morning with the with the boys while they run around and play, and I put it on my iPad and I just sort of flip through it and take some notes and yeah. email yeah. those back and hope yeah. that they're hope, helpful, you know? Oh yeah, let, right. Let me and also that, point so out though. Let me also point out that uh, editing and proofreading is different, right? Right. Like right. I I'm I'm a great proofreader. Because I catch all the grammatical mistakes, all the odd sentences, all the commas, all the semicolons. I'm not as great of an editor because I'm not critical enough as an editor because I I like it and I love what I'm reading. Well, and that's where for – I mean if you're going to put together a a pay-what-you-want or a $1 thing or a $2 or or $3 or whatever, right? I think think there's – like you're not going to – Make your money back hiring professional editors and and dropping fifty, right. sixty, seventy bucks on an artist okay. or whatever, right? right? right. Um, so I think that I think there's value to back to that idea that I mentioned back when Wolf, when we had Wolfgang on to to get together your group of four or five people that you kind of trust, you, you know their design aesthetic, you know that they're they're in sync with what you're looking for, uh, but they don't know you well enough to just sort of fill in the gaps without you explaining it, right? And so they can be critical, they can. F- point out that what you need they're trying to do the same thing so you're all helping each other out so nobody has to feel like obligated um i think there's value to that sort of a thing find some people that you trust that you that you like their design that you are friendly with um and and just get together something like that just for the little things like that and then over time you become you know you become the wear cabbages or you become the what is it the four horsemen are the ones that uh james has been talking to a lot lately um you know you that rate writing group you all lift each other up Mm-hmm. Um, right. and, and start doing bigger and bigger things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's interesting. The idea of like a co-op where if you can get the right people together mm-hmm. and all sort of work together and, you know, if you're lucky enough to be able to get like a page, a good designer in there and a good artist in there, you could really do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It's all, the whole, this whole thing is very interesting. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of many different minds with like the capabilities that it offers and the options that it offers there's lots of interesting discussions on is it is it you know further lowering the cost for uh you know the paper word for adventure writers but i don't know that any of us have been making a living on it for a long time anyway so probably <laughs> probably not that big an argument to make and i think the freedom of you know i i'm you know i'm always a big fan of the idea that you don't have to go to a bunch of people in suits and and convince them that your good idea should reach the masses I think the idea that you can now, you know, you now have the opportunity to take your good idea and get it in front of us, you know, of, of whatever, two billion people um, is a fantastic, you know, powerful thing. And will you actually reach two billion people? No, but it's not some <laughs> corporate guy. It's not some guy in a suit standing in your way saying, sorry, 
you know, sorry, but that doesn't have marketing appeal for us right now, so we're not going to do it. Right. You right. can you can find your niche and be happy with that niche, yeah. and if you, you got can, yeah, if you, you got fifteen great pe- people who just love what you do, then sometimes that's yeah. enough. Yeah, and you can succeed or fail on your own merit rather right. than on the decisions of some, you know, some giant corporate body. I'm thinking like movie people, you know, like if you want to pitch a movie and they're like, yeah, sorry, this season that's not in. Yeah, you well, like, it's it's like yeah. I I always go back to with my podcasting analogy, right? Because it's the same thing, right? You I can do a really yeah. niche thing. Right. You you could do a a podcast about knitting, and if you reach that twenty thirty people in the world that are really interested in knitting with mm-hmm. you, then that's great. You've built right. a community of twenty thirty people. Right? Yeah, my mom my mom based on what I did with Sly Flourish started a uh, bead tips uh, thing for bead you know for beading on Twitter and got you know thousands of followers. Yeah, because it turns out there was a niche for that. There you go. Well, any other uh, sort of last thoughts, I guess, last bits of advice, anything we haven't talked about that you think people should think about before they start publishing stuff on uh, DMs Guild or elsewhere? I mean, we're giving a lot of attention to the DMs Guild because it was the the impetus behind the question that uh, Gene Crane sent in and the whole episode. Um, but certainly there's other places. I mean, if you if you just want to publish D&D stuff under the OGL, you can do that without having to go through DMs Guild. Yeah, that's actually a question mm-hmm. I wanted to ask Wolfgang that I didn't get a chance to, and, and maybe I'll follow up with them sometime, or you guys can follow up with them sometime, which is when when should you choose to publish on your own under no license? When should you choose OGL, and when should you choose DM Guild? Like, so, what's the... So I've talked to him about, about Kobold's strategy with that anyway. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think Kobold's strategy for that might be different than other people because they have an audience. They're, they're a known commodity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're trying to build an audience, then you might have a different... Uh, a different approach, right? And I think that's fair. Um, I know his approach to the whole thing is um, DMs Guild will be great for Kobold when they want to do realm stuff. That they, you know, when, when it's yeah, stuff sure. that when it's stuff that's small enough that it's not a huge risk, it's not a huge investment, um, but it, but it requires DMs Guild. And the only thing that requires DMs Guild, if you're wanting to doing wanting to do the realms, and he's an old Alcadim guy, and so and I've I've been needling him for years to. To bring back Al Qadim, and so this is actually an opportunity for him to do that. And so for those things, um, DMs Guild is the place to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he and basically his approach is, but for anything else, like literally anything else, he'll just publish it himself outside of DMs Guild because he doesn't mm-hmm. have to. And he's got, but, but mm-hmm. he's got an audience. People are looking for his mm-hmm. stuff. He has a he has an online store. He does, right? <laughs> yeah. So so he can yeah. he can do that um, without DMs Guild. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that everybody can. Like, if I if I wanted to start publishing stuff, I don't know that I have an audience to publish just on my own or whatever. Right? Um, I could put it on on uh, Drive Through RPG, and maybe it'll get noticed, and maybe it won't. Right? There's a lot of stuff there, and it's not specifically D and D focused. Maybe I can get a little more attention if I put it on DMs Guild because I know it's just people looking for D and D stuff. Um, so I think there's some a different equation to consider. At that point. And I don't know what the answer is, but I know yeah. from what I, I've talked to Wolfgang about, um, that's sort of where he's at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, you know it's, it's hard for me to even judge. I mean, I'm, my, my publishing experience is still on, certainly on the low side. Um, but I definitely sell a fair amount of stuff just directly off my own website at, you know, a significantly greater profit margin than I would sure. on DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. So it'd be really, you know, I've had ideas for things that I would publish on DMs Guild. I always wanted to do like a uh, return to the mirror of dead men 
uh, adventure, much like they. Uh, uh, why can't I never remember the name of this thing? Frozen Castle. You know, mm-hmm. um, I would love to do like a you know a little tyranny of dragons high level return to you know go fight Dracoliches in the swamp. Um, but I look at that and I go, yeah, I can make fifty percent profit on that, or I could write something you know, more generic and at a higher profit margin and I get to own it and sell it wherever I want. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a tough thing to go back mm-hmm. to. And I, and I think that's an important decision that somebody should make, particularly if they're doing something big, I think for small stuff. And it looks like the small stuff is what's really selling. You know, I was looking at like what the top products are and the, most of the top products seem to be quick, you know, quick things, right? Like here's a new, you know, here's a new class type and here's a new, you know, there's a, a you know, the sixth one is a, a 5e player cheat sheet, you know, and the fifth is 18 right. fonts or fonts, feats. <laughs> I wish I wish there was an 18 fonts, you know, additional additional archetypes, you know, and, and so it's all like small focused things, a lot of lists. Like mm-hmm. I'm seeing a lot of 15 yeah. new and 20 new and right. 18 extra. You're talking about our friend James again. Is that, is that all his? <laughs> his is what fifteen new backgrounds uh, and so the eighteen extra fees is the fifteen yeah fifteen new backgrounds yeah that's Jane oh that's awesome <laughs> yeah and the twenty new traps which I bought I love it um yeah so the, but the idea is like those those are perfect kind of things to throw up here because you know they're not like your your opus you know they're not this huge or or that adventure you've always wanted to write and you're like oh. You know, it's great and it's this great, you know, it's 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 big and it's fun and it's got all this stuff and I'm going to put it on a DM scale. And then you put it there and you're like, wow, it's not selling there and I can't sell it anywhere else. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a, you could lose it, right? Yeah. And, and. But I think in that case, it's, it's about uh, figuring out what your goal is, right? Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. And what you're willing to uh, do. Right. And what, what, yeah, what your what your what your where your line is in terms of what you what you want to do with the work, and I, I think it's I think the thing, and this is, you'll probably agree with this is, if you write up a little two or three page item, it doesn't hurt so bad to throw it on the DMs Guild where you're only getting you know half of the yeah half of the sales you know on that or 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 you could just you know say well that's small enough i'll just put it up for very cheap or pay what you want Mm -hmm. and then you're just it's just there you know you you know the thing is if you're married to this idea that you're going to publish a couple of things and you're going to sell ten thousand copies and you're going to make you know a thousand bucks it's probably not going to happen regardless of whether you do it on dm's guild or your own website or whatever unless you already have a following that's not going to happen in you know it would that would be the one in a million thing that that somehow you know got spread around with word of mouth and and made you a star and that's very very rare Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i I, I don't know the idea of, of becoming like a pro sports player right like you know so many kids and, and, and young adults play sports non-professionally and they just have these dreams of, oh, I've, I'm good enough. I can make it yeah. to the big time. And yeah. zero, 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 one percent of all high school basketball players right. ever right. have any dream of going to the, you know, any any chance of getting to the NBA or whatever it is, you know. Right. So it's right. kind of like that. And if you're OK with that, you know, you, you kind of have to be OK with that when you're dealing with this industry and yeah. with. With something like the DM skill, yeah, yeah and, and I would say, I would say, do it if you're trying to get noticed to turn it into a career or whatever. Um, that's probably not the right motivation. If you're doing it because it's fun, 
uh, and maybe you can you can maybe you could get turn it into getting to know some people and and writing a few things here and there or whatever. I think that's a proper sort of motivation. Uh, and then what happens happens, right? But don't mm-hmm. don't push for it. Don't don't wish for it. You know, because that's just uh, wasted effort. Yeah, I just you know, I, I I really hope that the people who are writing for this are writing with a good clear view of what they're getting into, right? And what they're going to get out of it. And and I worried a little bit. Like one of the things that that kind of bothered me about some of the announcements that they made about the the DMs Guild was the idea of like, look, if you write something there that's really good, you know, we might make a canon or we might buy it from you or you might end up writing for us. Mm-hmm. And that one, you know, like talk about your point oh one percent. You know, right. like Wolfgang yeah. Bauer's not, you know, he wrote something for them once so far. Right? Like, yeah. You know, the best yeah. writers in this industry are are barely getting to write anything for wizards, mm-hmm. you know. So what chance does you know does does, does somebody that's that's writing like a a, a one off sort of thing? So the I think it's a little disingenuous to to pitch the DMs Guild as a way to make it big in the RPG industry. Well, I, I saw that as also them sort of signaling maybe a shift away from the studio model that they were going to be hiring freelancers again. And yeah, we'll see. But 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 that's that's un, unproven at this point, right? Yeah. Yeah, so. I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't see them changing their product line, like the number of products they're putting out per year. No, you know? but like, but, but you know, I don't. But I'm look not at sure Curse of Straw. They didn't go to a studio for them. Yeah, yeah. But right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure for the audience that we're talking about that might write a few pages or a few products for the DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that whether whether or not Watsi goes back to freelancers actually matters. In that uh, case, because I, I think that oh, I guess yeah. the point is don't hang your hat on writing several things for the DMs Guild and suddenly getting discovered because it's probably right. not going to happen right. to be. Right. I don't honest. think I don't. In fact, I don't yeah. think it's any better with this than it was without it. Right. Exactly. And that that's kind of that's kind of what I was trying to get at was I think the DMs Guild is a great sort of little fronts piece marketplace mm-hmm. to provide a way for people to get their stuff there. But there is absolutely no guarantee that anything is going to change. Well, and there's a really good chance that if you are going to get noticed, it's going to be, it's going to be because you worked really, really hard for nothing right. to do it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you, it's like, like uh, Wolf was saying, putting out an adventure a month or doing a, a little, you know, a, a monster a week or whatever, like that kind of right. stuff constantly, consistently right. For, right. for long right. periods of time yeah. is basically doing a whole bunch of free work for long hours. Yeah. Um, Brian James is a perfect example of this, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah his right. big his big break into working with Watsi yeah. was, was the Grand History of the Realms, which is a book that is just a massive timeline of the Forgotten Realms. That's all it is. It's just one giant timeline, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was doing that. He he spent hours and hours and hours and hours doing that on his own because he's right. a big fan of the realms. And, and right. I think he was posting it on Candlekeep and whatever, right? Yep. yep. Uh, it was a forum yeah, working, thread. Working with Ed. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Constantly yeah. talking to Ed about it. But he probably put hundreds of hours into that. Oh, yeah. And then Watsi's like, oh, wow, this is huge and this is awesome. Let's hire right. him. Right? Right. But but it took that kind of work to get noticed. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. And it's almost one of these things that like by the time Watsi will come to you is by the time you don't really need them to. Right. Yeah. Because you know, like you're already at this known quantity and you're already able to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and in Brian's case, that was great. Imagine if that happened today, though. Right. Like it, it's different now because back then Brian didn't have a way to actually sell that and he didn't really have a way to mm-hmm. post it. Right. And, you know, he didn't. There wasn't Twitter and there wasn't everything else back then. 
Um, it was message forums and, and free stuff posted on the web. And now he could kind of, you know, put it up here and then they could be like, hey, we'd like to buy that from you. It's like, okay, well, I'm already selling a thousand copies a month. What are you going to do? <laughs> right. And, yeah. and this, this actually has happened for uh, independent writers on, um, on the Kindle store on Amazon. You know, that, um, so, so two examples uh, is the, 50, the, the, the woman that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, um, you know, was already a millionaire before a traditional publisher said, hey, we'd like to sell paper copies of your book. And we'd also like to, and she said, sure. And they said, but we also want to get rights to the digital version as well. And she's like, yeah, okay, fine. And they did. And like everybody in that publishing house got like a $15,000 bonus just because <laughs> of the digital sales. So that was basically the money that was going to her all went to them, right? She was already mm. getting. And um, oh, Hugh Howley, who did uh, Wool and um, another book called Sand, was the first independent publisher to make a traditional paper copy book publishing deal that didn't include the electronic rights. Because what he said is, yeah, I'm never going to make the money back if I give you the electronic rights, you know, because he was already mm -hmm. making thousands of dollars a month. You know, probably tens of thousands of dollars a month, probably maybe hundreds of thousands. And, um, you know, what he determined is there was, you know, and he did a big study about this. He actually did a bunch of research. And what he found out was you're always better going with uh, independent publishing than you are with a publisher. Because by the time the publisher picks you up, you're going to make more money than they can bring to you. Right. And I don't think that's the case with Wizards now. But it may be if this kind of thing keeps building up that, you know top sales on DMs Guild could outstrip the sales that Watsy could provide to you. Yeah, although they take a pretty big chunk out of DMs Guild. Yeah, so mm -hmm. right. yeah, yeah, they'll have the chunk the cost on the anyway. front end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. yeah absolutely. absolutely. I think we've gone on for a really long time, and I know that there yeah. were some breaks in the middle there or whatever, um, but uh, any last thoughts and we'll wrap this up? I think I think we've hit, I th hit a lot. I, yeah, I, th I think those kind of were my last thoughts that, I mean, granted, I'm, you know, I don't do this for money. I run a website and I edit podcasts and all that. And but I I don't ever you know make a dime. Um, but hey, I you send know, you Amazon money. That's it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you, are, you are nice enough to do that. Um, but you know, it doesn't uh, pay for my hosting for my no. own website. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not. I mean, I do it because I enjoy it, because I love it, because it's part of my life and it's my hobby, not because I think I'm going to be a millionaire. Right. And that is my advice to everyone else who is sort of entering this and thinking that it might be a good way to get noticed. Don't hang your hat on it. Don't make it the goal of of everything you do, because you might end up in. The chances are. The probability is that you will end up sorely disappointed. Yeah. If it happens, that's awesome. I'm happy for you. I think it's wonderful, and it does happen occasionally. But if that's what your goal is, you might better have a plan B as well. Well, and, and, and like I mean, we've sort of gotten around this, right? Do it for fun, full stop. And mm -hmm. you know what? If you're having fun doing it, that might actually it. show and make it better anyway and make yep. it more likely to get yep. noticed. So just yep. have fun and don't expect anything yeah. else and, and enjoy what you're doing. Yeah. I agree yeah. with all that. I, I will throw in one caveat though. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, this is a commercial in, in particular, mm -hmm. like when we think about Wizards of the Coast or any of the big publishers, they're commercial companies, not non-for-profits. Right. So if, if they're making money off your stuff, you should be making money too. Yeah. Right. Yep. Then that doesn't change anything else that you see. I said, <laughs> except, you know, yeah. you know be careful if you're doing work for free. Right. Mm -hmm. That's making a profit for someone else. Yeah. 
right? That that now you're now you're lowering yeah, your oh, value. When I say don't hang your hat on it, and don't count on, yeah. I don't mean don't don't get right. paid don't for the work. It, yeah. Right. You know, right. You I mean, think the work yeah. is valuable, the uh, yeah. time is valuable, right. and all that. But yeah, I'm not I contradicting just, anything you're saying. You're yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, I agree with you as well. Yeah. All right. Very good. I'm gonna go ahead and call that the end of this episode. I want to thank uh, Wolfgang Bauer who's already talked about his stuff. Mike Shea, who you can find over at slyflourish.com and hey, twitter.com slash slyflourish. Indeed. Thank Anything you. else? Oh, I'm great. All right. <laughs> as well <laughs> as Noble Knight and all of you out there for supporting the show and shopping in our affiliate links at Amazon and D&D Classics. You can get a hold of us over at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. And that is episode 260, where we figured out the difference between adventure and commerce. In this episode of... I'm on the wall.